0: We're going to turn to God's Word this morning from the book of 2 Timothy, Paul's letter to Timothy, as well as Hebrews chapter 4. You can turn there or find it in your bulletin. These are going to be our primary text this morning, but like with all topical series, they're going to be a springboard. Uh, We'll reference other passages as well. Paul is instructing young Timothy, really his spiritual son, uh, one that he has invested so much energy, so much of his life into, to hold fast to the Scriptures. So 2 Timothy 3, beginning at verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, And for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Then the writer of the Hebrews speaking in chapter 4 and the importance of entering into the rest of God uh, through his spoken word. He says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is the Word of our God, a Word that we submit to and stand on. That's what we're going to talk more about this morning. Let's pray. Father, we do submit to Your purposes and to the working of Your Word in our midst. Lord, we pray that You would do that work now by Your Holy Spirit. That the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together would be pleasing and acceptable to You. Work this Word into our hearts. That we might grow in love and appreciation for this written revelation you've given to us. What a grace, what a mercy. And we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Have you ever heard of the Bretton Woods Conference? Someone has. That's amazing because I had absolutely no idea what that was until I... Uh, found out this last week, but it, was, it was a conference, all these delegates from the allied nations towards the end of World War II uh, came together in New Hampshire, uh, at a hotel in New Hampshire, and they were going to discuss, well, all of those things that are harmful to world prosperity. So you think, you know, let's just get together this afternoon and solve the world's problems. That's literally what they were doing. Uh, it's nice how it works out like that. Um, But following this meeting, following this conference, uh, the International Monetary Fund was established. So that currency was now required to be tradable or or convertible around the world. And that sort of led to the the formation of um, the World Bank, which we may say may be a good thing or a bad thing, uh, depending Uh, But much of the international economy that we see today can be traced back to that conference, about 700 delegates in a rural hotel in New Hampshire. How about the, the sinking of the Titanic, 1912? I think more of us probably have heard of that, at least. Well, following the sinking of the Titanic, it was required that every ship have a wireless telegraph. And that led to a radio on every ship that had to be manned at all times. And if you're sitting there on the ship manning the radio, and it's quiet for a long time, then you start to crack jokes, maybe uh, sing a little bit over the radio, and that starts to take off. Before you know it, we have news and entertainment coming through the radio waves. Trace it back to the tragedy that was the sinking of the Titanic. Um, history, um, what has happened in history, affects today. It affects how we live today. Uh, Small things, conversations, uh, meetings that we didn't even know happened or existed, they change our lives. And I mentioned this this morning because uh, even in the church, I think we suffer from a little bit of doubt, at least doubt, but historical amnesia um, even in, in a church history just doesn't seem all that relevant to us at times for making decisions every day like you're gonna make today and tomorrow yet who we are as human beings who we are as Christians what we're about as a church has a history um, a history that we must call to mind and apply faithfully uh, if we're going to live uh, today faithfully tomorrow and so over the next several weeks Uh, We're going to do this. We're going to call to mind an important time in the history of the church, and specifically the summarizing principles that came out of this time period that we know as the Reformation. And prayerfully, we'll see why these principles still matter uh, just as much today as they did 500 years ago. So the name Martin Luther is really synonymous with uh, the Reformation of the 16th century, and for good reason. Luther was an ordained priest in the Catholic Church, a brilliant mind, and he pursued a doctor in theology, and he taught at the University of Wittenberg, and the Lord really began to work in his heart, open his eyes to what he was seeing in the Catholic Church at the time. At this point, that the Bible could not be read by everyday folks. It really had been left in the shadows for the decrees of the Pope and and the traditions of the church. So, over the course of about six years in his, in his study and his lecturing, Luther became more and more troubled in his conscience. It all came to a head as he was going through the letter of Romans. He poured over Romans chapter 1. He, he cross referenced what, what Paul makes reference to in the prophet Habakkuk. He later said, Heaven itself was just open to me. He concluded that God's righteousness is a gift to be accepted by faith. It cannot be earned through prayer or through purchases or anything else. Now, Luther wasn't the first person to make that conclusion since the apostles. But the church has slowly drifted away from that. Forgotten that important truth. So in 1517, Luther put this list of propositions together, 95 as they've been recorded and he nailed them to that church door in Wittenberg. And the whole goal behind this was so that folks who were walking by the door, you know, maybe some of his students would see that these, oh, interesting, what Dr. Luther has put up here, or maybe some of the other professors. Well, when you are the local doctor in theology, um, word spreads pretty fast. And when you have the ability to make copies quickly, it spreads even faster. Uh, So that act sparked... Uh, the Reformation movement. So this month we're celebrating 500 years since that uh, Reformation began. But you know what? It's still going on. The church has not stopped reforming. Um, I mean, just think about that word for a second. When something is reformed, it's going back to a certain condition. It's going back to a standard the church is continually going back to the authority and the standard that is God's word. And so that's a principle that we're going to focus on today. Sola scriptura, scripture alone. It's one of the five principles uh, that came out of the Reformation. So the next five sermon titles are going to be in Latin. Don't let that freak you out. Um, but we'll learn together why these Latin phrases are really important summaries. Keep in mind that the reformers, guys like Martin Luther and John Calvin and Ulrich Zwingli and John Knox, they weren't walking around with banners. Sola scriptura, solus Christus. So they weren't, you know, these, and they weren't chiseling him in the side of churches. This came out of their teaching and their studying of God's word. So we're going to ask two simple questions of each of these Latin phrases, each of these principles. What does it mean, and why does it still matter today? What does it mean? Why does it still matter? Our history shapes who we are and how we live as a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Apostle Paul is encouraging Timothy to continue learning, growing in his understanding and use of the sacred writings. Certainly the Old Testament was in view here, but by this time, some of the, some of the Gospels are in circulation. Some of Paul's writings are considered scripture. Peter makes. A reference to this in 2 Peter chapter 3. And so the written revelation, all the Old Testament and what was coming together in the New Testament is breathed out by God. That's a unique single word here to show the source, the origin of the Scriptures. The Bible comes to us from God Himself. It comes from His mouth. It's not just a, a story or a collection of stories that come about by human uh, wisdom, it's the wisdom of God transcribed through uh, circumstances, transcribed through unique human personalities. Apostle Peter drives this home really saying the same thing that Paul does, just a little bit differently, Second Peter 1. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And much later, theologian B.B. B. Warfield he makes this good summary. He said the prophets were taken up by the Spirit and brought by His power to the goal of His choosing. Brought by His power to the goal of His choosing. The power of God, the purpose of God that gives us uh, this Word, this written revelation. So as as writing moved from from stone to clay to to wood, and then the, the leather, really the skins that much of the Old Testament was written on to the papyrus of the New Testament. And later, vellum was much easier to copy, much stronger. God has preserved His Word, the message of that Word, over time. And having its source in the sovereign, almighty, holy God of absolute perfection, um, it is without error. We make mistakes in interpreting it, our interpretation is not without error, but the Scripture themselves are without error as originally uh, transcribed. And, and we need to know that they're just scrupulous copies of the Bible in the original languages. And if you go um, you know, back and, and we look, that there are more pieces of the Bible that have been collected and put together to, to construct what we have than any other ancient text in the history of the world. Um, but just incredible detail, letter to letter. So I don't want you to doubt, there's no need to doubt the accuracy of the translations uh, even now in the 21st century English. We trust the Holy Spirit to preserve and aid in copying and in translation. Uh, but we can have great confidence uh, in the word that we hold. And Keep in mind that modern translations in the English, they're written to different audiences. And they have different purposes in mind. Um, So that's something to consider as you spend time in God's Word, um, privately or or in smaller groups. Um, So for us to return to the right knowledge of God as Creator, for us to understand God as our Redeemer, He graciously publishes His Word. I mean, think of what God has done in history to allow us to to open that Word that's in front of you right now. Um, For us to be able to read it, in a language that we understand. He didn't have to do this. He chooses to do this by His mercy. God knows our humanness. He knows the corruption of our sin, our inability to see clearly, to really understand ourselves, to really understand our needs. We're spiritually nearsighted. He must provide uh, the lenses for us. And the great reformer John Calvin, you'll probably hear that name a few more times over the next few weeks, Uh, But he uses this illustration, the Institutes of the Christian Religion. I like to read this little section. Beautifully captures what God has done for us. Just as old or bleary-eyed men and those with weak vision, if you thrust before them a most beautiful volume, even if they recognize it to be some sort of writing, yet can scarcely construe two words, yet with the aid of spectacles, it will begin to read distinctly. So Scripture, gathering up the otherwise confused knowledge of God in our minds, having dispersed our dullness, clearly shows us the true God. The very purpose of Scripture is to bring us face to face with the true God in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is truly God, truly man, without sin. There is no error in Him. So the Bible unites the human and the divine without error. This is God's word. Not just bits and pieces of it. Not just the parts that we like the best. It's all breathed out. With God as its source. Which also means that the Bible carries his authority. Inspired by God, it carries his, his authority. It's another aspect of sola scriptura. Pastor Donald Barnhouse, he said, the book does not, this book does not contain the Word of God. It is the Word of God. It is the standard, the only authority for our faith and for our practice. Here that the Catholic Church in the 16th century, they may have acknowledged the Scriptures as an authority, but not the authority for the church. Whatever the Pope de- decreed or put into one of those uh, Papal bulls was considered the rule of the church with equal or perhaps greater authority uh, than the Scriptures. Uh, traditions in the church were considered to have that same authority as the Word of God. And here is where the Reformers said no. No, the words of the Pope or other church leaders, the traditions of the church are subject to, they must be tested by the Scriptures as a whole. We need to, to be careful here and not... Uh, well, not just reject all church tradition. Um, it's important we don't downplay the role of this. Uh, I think the traditions really reflect the, the wisdom of those who have gone before in the church. Uh, again, it returns our thoughts to history. Uh, the creeds and the confessions and the, the teaching practices and the worship practices, um, you know, they, they stood the test of time probably for a reason, we need to be considerate before we just uh, discard without careful examination from the Scriptures. Modern English writer and philosopher G.K. Chesterton said, "Don't move a fence before you know why it was put there in the first place." Um, Tradition in the church can be a real grace of God to us, safeguard to protect the best from the past, best of the past from the whims of the present. That's to quote James Montgomery Boyce. Tradition has its place, but it's subject to the authority of God's Word. And that has led some folks to consider the difference between sola scriptura and solo scriptura. It's just a vowel. You think, well, what difference could that possibly make? But it does a little bit. We affirm the the authority of the Bible. We believe in Scripture alone, but not Scripture only. I mean, we're, we'll recite the Apostles' Creed together. We'll use a question and answer out of the Westminster Catechism in our worship. The Bible is not, not isolated from the church and from its history. When you talk about solo scriptura, it conveys the idea that it's just, well, it's just me and the Bible. And so how I read the Bible and my interpretations of the Bible, really, they're on the same footing as the creeds and the confessions. Some of you are kind of like, what? That doesn't, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And that, that should. That's a healthy intuition. Because the reformers have been, no, wait, time out. Scripture is judge. It is the norm. But our reading of Scripture must be constantly checked against the whole church, the teaching of the church, or the bounds of that teaching. And without that, we can go, we can and we do, go into some pretty... Uh, strange places it could turn into a mess in a hurry just one example of this this last week there seems to be a growing trend uh, at least a growing discussion of this uh, idea of polyamory Uh, i hope i'm saying that right but as a way to to um, legitimize romantic relationships among christians that there it's not a polygamous relationship where there are multiple spouses but there's there's one spouse a husband and wife but then each spouse is free to pursue intimate relations with any number of folks. They just stay married to one person. That used to be called adultery. It still is. right? But it's, it can really sound pretty good um, when we pick and choose what we want to believe. One pastor in Dallas has done, he says, love is the thrust of Scripture. and He sees the, the poly, polygamous relationships among the patriarchs as a bad thing, but then with Jesus... A new era is ushered in. An era of love and tolerance. Um, and then Paul comes and, and speaks. He says when, Paul's, conf- when uh, Paul's teaching confronts him, he says, I find Paul's patriarchal words to be derogatory, demeaning, and dismissive. It's so Old Testament. Whoo, new Testament. and you know, Where's the authority in this case? Certainly not in the Word of God or the history of the church in interpreting that Word. It's in the rebellious, idolatrous heart of man. And that's just one example. You could think of, of a dozen more, but it really shows us our need for the Holy Spirit in interpreting, reading the living Word of God. The Spirit of God must, must illumine, must open the window of our hearts so we can understand this Word that He's given. The Spirit convicts us, assures us of the authority and sufficiency of God's Word for all of life. That's the final facet I want to mention this morning. The meaning of sola scriptura. preacher of the Hebrews says the Word of God is living and active. It's powerful. It's working. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. See, most I think, I think most folks who claim the name Christian go on any website, the churches in this area, anywhere else, they're... They're not going to deny the authority of Scripture. I mean, it's right there. We believe in the inspired, authoritative Old Testament and New Testament. But it's the sufficiency of God's Word. That's what, that's what slowly gets you know, pushed under the rug. We have a hard time believing that the Bible is sufficient. That it has the power to move you in a specific direction. That is the power to move me. That is the power to draw the unbeliever to Christ. That has the power to actually transform the world around us. I mean, where where do you go? Where do you turn for help and guidance? Where do you think you'll find that? Maybe you've tried the Evangelical Psychiatric Hotline. Um, It sounds something like this. This was a script given to a pastor many years ago. If you are obsessive-compulsive, please press 1 repeatedly. If you are codependent, please ask someone else to press 2. If you have multiple personalities, please, please press three, four, five, and 6. If you are paranoid, we know who you are and what you want. Just stay on the line and we'll trace the call. If you are evangelical, listen carefully and a little voice will tell you which button to push. Um, are you waiting for that little voice? Or are we leaning into the power of the written Word of God? It is sufficient for a life of faith, for a life of godliness. Near the end of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 32, Joshua has been been commissioned to succeed uh, Moses on leading Israel, but before Moses dies, he uh, blesses the people, leaves them with a final word. It's a, a song of remembrance. People have received the Word. He reminds them what to do with it. We hear from Deuteronomy 32. And when Moses had finished speaking all these words to all Israel, he said to them, Take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today, that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. For it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word you shall live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. So this is no empty word. If the people want to live, they're going to take this word to heart. They're going to pass it on to their children. This is what they need to love and obey God. They're not going to, not going to find this. They're not going to figure it out on their own. But by this word, they live. By this word, we live. So does any of that matter? <laughs> Sola Scriptura, we got it. The Bible's authoritative. been on the website for 500 years. So here's, here's the thing. When we believe and profess the Bible to be authoritative, to be the sufficient Word of God, then this Word is the only Word that can bind our conscience. I mean, when we read and hear, thus says the Lord, it demands a response from us. I mean, in fact, that that's what should be happening. Every time you open the word of God, you know, in the back of your mind, behind it all is thus says the Lord. This is something I must submit to. This will require something of me, require something of my family, of the church. It appears that's what the Jews in Berea really took to heart. Uh, Paul shows up, shares the gospel with them in Acts chapter 17. It says they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So Paul, this is a good word. We like your message. We're going to go all reformed on you now and go check it out. This is true. Back to the authority that that we know is binding. And little did they know, their very action in doing this would be part of the written revelation of God. That's incredible. So every movement away from the sufficiency, from the authority of the Bible, is either going to add something to the Bible or subtract something from the Bible that's intended to bind the conscience. Okay, you, pro- you can probably uh, pick some of these out. For the Mormon, it is the Bible and the Book of Mormon that's added, that binds the conscience. For the Christian Scientist, it's the Bible plus Mary Baker Eddy's key to understanding the Bible. For the Jehovah's Witness, it's the watchtower in the Bible the seventh day adventists it's the revelations of of ellen white for the roman catholic it is the tradition the authoritative hierarchy of bishops and popes so from each of these perspectives as you can have the bible but it's not enough to live a life of faith and obedience to the lord this is right here a little pushback I i brought one here you say well isn't that what this is doing the westminster confession the catechism and don't you treat the, the book of church order like that? And the answer simply is no, not at all. Um, the confessions, the creeds, uh, they're beautiful and what we believe to be accurate summaries of what the Bible teaches. So they're a tremendous help, they're, they're a tool for, that we use in our worship, a tool we use for teaching, but they are not binding to the conscience as is the Word of God. I think we see this in more subtle ways than just you know, the, the top level religious systems that I've mentioned. Um, think about the latest viral video. Uh, it could be on athletics, it could be on social interaction between children. Um, what else? Financial advice? I mean, a, a video goes viral because people want you to see it. And a lot of people are seeing it. Say, so this is good, pay attention. I overheard a conversation this last week. A couple of guys, a couple of gals. They were talking about the medical system and the pharmaceutical system, and they seemed to be in cahoots with each other. And then the conversation went to vaccinations. Yeah, that's that's a, a doozy. Um, and as I listened, I found myself thinking, oh "My goodness, how could I, how could I not have myself and my children vaccinated?" And then just as strongly thinking. How could I go in and be vaccinated? You know what they put in that stuff? Um, so we seek wise counsel. We make decisions. We, we believe to be reasonable decisions. But what is binding to our conscience? Is it, is it enough viral videos? Um, what do we lean into and go back to as non-negotiable? Um, the Bible's not going to tell you whether to get a shot or not. It will not tell you where and when to move your money. It will not tell you who you should date. It will not tell you a specific diet. So much of our life is lived between the lines of biblical instruction and biblical commands. But the Word of God guides us. It guards our hearts. It gives us the principles and shows us the character of those who walk with the Lord. So you can make any number of those decisions um, with this sort of sanctified sense, a piece of conscience that is held by God's Word, that's gripped by God's Word. So that's why soul Scriptura still matters. It also matters because the living and active Word of God actually brings change. It has the power to do this. It brings transformation. It's through God's Word that the Holy Spirit captures hearts. Continues to change us. Psalm 119, I mean the whole psalm just delights in God's Word and our need for that Word. David says in verses 9, 10, 11, How can a young man keep his way pure? By walking according to your Word. I have hidden your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So we are reforming by going back to the Bible, standing upon its authority, but the Bible is reforming us. The power of the Spirit changing us to be, to be more in the likeness of our Savior, to be more like Jesus, true humanity. So to live as God has made us to live, we need this written revelation. We need the living Word. We need the Lord Jesus. And this Word brings us into a living counter with Christ. The one who holds it all together. You know, Maybe you've seen this in your own life. Life of someone you know, family member, friend. Where there was absolutely no intention to read the Bible. In fact, there was open opposition trying to avoid the Scriptures. But somehow, in God's providence, mercy, a Bible found its way into your hand or into the one that you know. You opened it. You started reading. You found that you couldn't stop reading. The Lord used that to, to capture, capture your heart. Use that in the life of the one that you know. To speak to the heart. Men's Bible study on Thursday morning, we've come up to uh, 1 Samuel 3, and here the Lord breaks into the darkness, breaks into the drought of life in Israel without the Word of God. Or, or Rather, without the desire and dependence upon the Word of God. And God's Word comes to Samuel and changes this little boy working in the temple, forms him into a prophet, in which his Word will be spoken through feeding the people of Israel. So I need to make just a tangent application here. If you find that you are in a place of drought, if you are spiritually starving... It is not likely for lack of food. You are starving for lack of appetite. Do you believe that God's word is formative? Do you have an appetite for it? I mean, th- this is why it has to be sola scriptura. If it's, a, if it's just a collection of books written a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, then you are not going to have an appetite for it. Because you're, you're just going to get by with the, you know, the, the latest value of, of Wall Street and Hollywood and the YouTube culture. It's all you'll need. Um, what are we feeding ourselves with? And sometimes I think there's a real disconnect between you know, the Bible and the real world we think of as the real world. I mean, Facebook feels more like the real world. right? I mean, there's a, there's a community there. There, I mean, there's interests that pop up. You know, our, our attention, kind of our hearts are grabbed as we, you know, we read things from our friends and acquaintances. We need to pray over our diet. We need to pray over our affections and desires that God would grow our desire for His Word. That it, that, that desire would morph into a delight. A delight as much or more so than the latest Facebook post. This is work of the Spirit. Pray for it. Fight for it. When it's so much easier to just sit down in front of the TV or grab the, the, the closest device with social media and just sort of numb out. Right? One more angle on transformation. I don't know a single person who doesn't want to see the society in which we live change for the better. I don't know of any person who doesn't want that. That's what so many people live for. I could just make the world a little bit better. We want to see folks show more responsibility and self control and compassion. But that social transformation can only come through transformed people. People who have been changed by God's word, they will bring change to the society that they live in. This is exactly what happened in the city of Geneva, Switzerland, during. The time of John Calvin and following. Uh, the city was, I mean, just steeped in, in moral decadence and in, uh, adultery and gambling and, and drunkenness, lewd dancing. And so the Council of Geneva passed all these regulations to try to restrain this. And it did very little good, it didn't change much. So in the, the mid 1500s, they, they asked Calvin to come, and he's, he's going to be the, the lead pastor in Geneva. And so he preaches God's word, which is his only tool, for two years, and it was completely ignored. Even the council that brought him never listened to him. And after two years, they said, get out of here, we've had enough. Nothing changed. Things continued to get worse. Well, you know how public opinion works, right? It goes like this, and it goes like this, and it goes like this. Well, it went like this about three and a half years later. And they asked Calvin to come back. And you know what he did when he came back? He picked up his Bible, and he opened to the chapter and verse that he left off on two years ago, and started preaching. That's all he did—preached twice a day, every day. I don't know how he did it, but he did it. Um, and over time, things began to change. Um, God used the word to transform people on the inside, and the city began to change. There were—see, there were sanitary conditions began to improve. They set up a hospital. A poor house was provided, an academy was was established, they started the cloth industry, something people could, could work for and use their skills. So so dramatic was this change. Another reformer, John Knox, later on, said that Geneva was like a new Jerusalem from which the gospel spread to the rest of Europe. <laughs> Do you think we underestimate the power of God's word to change? to change lives, to change a city, to change a nation, is possible. And God does this through His Word. Final thought on why sola scriptura matters. When we believe and rest in the authority, sufficiency of God's Word, it gives us a hope and a peace to face our days. You know, I don't think it's a stretch to say that most of us Maybe if we're honest, all of us in some way. We have desires and hopes that have never materialized. And we don't see anything on our immediate limited horizon that's going to change that. Where do you go? Maybe you expected to be in a certain financial position right now and that just hasn't happened? Or you're at a certain level of education and you're not there yet? maybe a type of relationship. You don't have that. You thought there would be some freedom to pursue certain interests and goals, but God's providence has you hunkered down right here in a place that you never imagined that you would be. We go to the promises of God's Word. The Word that tells us He is working for our good, that there is nothing that can separate us from His love that these light and momentary afflictions cannot compare to the riches we have in Christ. His word is that anchor, it gives us stability. It gives us a peace in an often unstable and less than peaceful life. You know, when we see a slaughter like we've seen in Las Vegas a week ago, where do we go? We go to the word that tells us Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Right now and forever. that whoever believes in Him will live even though he or she dies or well, they're running for their life right now. Tell us that no matter how maimed, no matter how mangled we may be, our lives have value. Life is worth living in Jesus. Brothers and sisters, don't, don't go through life thinking that you're missing something. God doesn't leave us to our own devices. Here, here's your life. Here's the cards you've been dealt. Now figure it out. He doesn't do that. He is a perfect heavenly Father who's graciously given us His Word. So the church is always reforming, always reforming to the Word of God until the Living Word returns. God's Word reveals His character. It shows us His heart. It shows us where we've been in redemptive history. Where it is we're going. Shows us our need for a Savior and the coming of that Savior. The prophet, priest, and king, the Lord Jesus. The Word infuses our lives with hope. The treasure God has given to us in His Word. This is something you have learned from a young age, from when you were your kids. Children, maybe you can help me sing this. This is the whole point of the sermon, right here. Right? Help me sing. The B I B L E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B I B L E Bible. The grass withers, the flower fades. The Word of our God will stand forever. Father, we do praise you for this Word, that we can know you, and know who we are in this world that you've made, because you've shown us through your Word. We thank you for its authority in our lives. Oh, Lord, work in its efficiency. We might look to you and look to your word for each day. Give us hope. Pour out your grace as we go from this place. In Christ's name, amen.